0: Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We know your life will be changed for the better by listening to God's Word. If you'd like to know more about Trinity Beaumont or contribute to our ministry, please visit www.trinitybeaumont.com. Amazed how it seems like our, this little church keeps getting sweeter and sweeter. Is it possible? <laughs> um, it, it's, it is amazing. And, and I'm enjoying being a part of this group more now than probably any other time. And 40 years is a long time. Uh, 40 years is a prophetic year uh, in Scripture, that's a year of judgment. Uh, It could be a judgment, a positive judgment, or a negative judgment, but it is what it is. Uh, So, uh, yeah, come celebrate with us. Uh, I'm excited about having made 40 years. That's kind of amazing in itself. Uh, But uh, to have have you share it with us is even more important. Um, We're going to talk today. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, about fathers and talked to you about how... Today's fathers necessarily don't line up with the biblical model of fathers, but today I want to talk to you about the father's, the heavenly father's heart, and I think that that's important that we understand. Actually, our highest and most holy calling, folks, is to know Him. It's not to win souls. Everything, everything else is very, very important, but to know Him. To know your Father causes you to change. You cannot know who you are until you know who He is. Because even though you may look like a chip off the old block, as as they say, we are made in the image and likeness of God. And when we say God, please understand we're talking about Godhead. I like to make a distinction in this and I hope that you will learn to do this as well because you see you hear people talk about God all the time but I also hear people talk about well there's God and there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. When you talk about God talk about the Godhead the trinity the the, the whole package but when you talk about father that's a whole different story. And we're going to talk today about Father. He is, our, he is our creator. Now, he didn't do the actual creating. He sent his son to do that. But fathers send sons on errands all the time, don't they? Especially when they get big. Well, they should. Anyway, fathers are always telling their sons what to do. But isn't that part of being a father? That is a part of training. So we're going to talk about that. And John's gospel probably, um, at least is my favorite, but I, I recognized a long time ago that in John's gospel, he came and I, I really became amazed when I was studying John's gospel. I still have that Bible packed away where I went all through John's gospel and highlighted every place where it mentioned Father, And I was amazed and I realized that Jesus, what John teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus wants to show us, wants us to know his father and make him your father as well. He needs to be our father because that's the only way we can understand who we are. We live in a day when many, many people don't know their father. So how can they really know themselves if they don't know where they came from? But so much more important than a natural father is to know the father who created you. Your natural father or mother did not create you with a purpose and a destiny. Your heavenly father most certainly did. He hasn't made, listen, you're, you're not a random drawing. You didn't just happen no matter if you were a surprise to your parents or not. <laughs> I have a sister that was a surprise but uh, she's precious. God has a purpose. you have to understand this. He created you for a purpose. You have a purpose in him, a destiny from him and that's so important that you realize that because people who don't never achieve it. All right uh, I just in uh, one chapter I took John 14. And I counted up the times that it mentions the name God wants, and, but that name mentioned as God is spoken by the Son of God, so he cannot be talking about the Godhead. He's talking about his Father. Other than that, there are 20 times in one chapter that he mentions Father. It's all about Father. And Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father. I don't do anything that I didn't see him do, and I don't say anything that I didn't hear him say. And we really need to understand that. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't talk about football. But let your words be seasoned with who you are, not just what you know. Because people really want to know who you are more than they want to know what you are. And the only way that you can be a testimony is by identifying with your Father who created you. Proverbs 4 and the 23rd verse reads this way Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. New Living Translation says, Guard your heart above all else, it determines the course of your life. I want you to understand that if we're going to talk about the Father's heart, the first thing we need to understand is heart. And uh, I, I was taught in Bible school that heart and spirit are interchangeable words, but I that never did settle right with me. That never satisfied me. So I began to do research on my own, and I found out that the, the, well, I'll, I'll give you some Old Testament, New Testament definitions. In the Old Testament, the word heart is, comes from the Hebrew word leb, leb, or lab. And it means, it's used as heart, the mind, and in the midst of. It's interesting that it appears in the Old Testament 860 times. 860 times. Uh, lay can also refer to the inner part of the middle of a thing. And I, that's what I really discovered about this. But I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. It's the, this is right out of, of uh, Vine's expository dictionary for Old Testament words. It's the seat of desire, inclination, or will, uh, or can be indicated by heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Exodus seven fourteen, Whoever is, whoever, excuse me, whoever so is of a willing heart, let him bring it, Exodus 35, 5. I will praise thee, O God, with my whole heart, the scripture says. So we see how it's used here. The, in, within the New Testament, the Greek word is cardia. We understand that it talks about, uh, it, it, it's the same word as we get the pump from You've heard, you know, we know of a, a cardiac, cardiacs, or, or cardiatric surgeons or doctors, heart doctors. Some of you go to one of those. Cardia though has to do with the center. It's the center. It is the most important organ in your body, and and there's a spiritual connection between the natural and the spiritual because in being the center, uh, the the um, uh, Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says it's the chief organ of physical life parentheses for the life of the flesh is in the blood Leviticus seven eleven. of course it's the pump it occupies the most important place in the human system right in the middle center man's entire mental and moral activity both the rational and emotional elements in other words the heart is used figuratively for the hidden spring of the personal life, the seat of moral nature and spiritual life. This applies to the Father's heart the same as it applies to your heart. Don't forget, keep it always in mind that you, listen to me very carefully, we don't get a revelation of this. It's hard for us to even go on being and doing what we're called to do. You are created in the image of the Most High God. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Because some of you think that you were just, you were created in the image of your mother and father. You were created by your culture. Hey, wait a minute. First of all, first and foremost, you're created in his image and likeness for his purposes, not for your purposes. We, many of us err when we go through our whole life living for our purposes and for our desire when he created us, for his purposes now I know one of the one of the the, the the more popular authors out there said that we were created and will spend forever worshiping him I, I heartily disagree with that he has angels that are created for that purpose. any parents in here did any parent in here create your children just so they will praise you? <laughs> well, it, it sounds funny but people accuse our heavenly Father, of doing something we find funny in our own selves. We've got to be a father-like parent, but our heavenly father rather than our earthly father. I had a great dad, but he was not perfect. I had a great mother, and she was not perfect. I have a great father, and he is. And everything that I I am has come from him. Everything that matters comes from him. I'm not speaking about education or training. We all need those skills. We all need that. That's part of getting through this short period we call life. I'm talking about knowing the Father's heart so that you can adjust and align your life with his and then you will achieve his purposes and in that folks, you'll find the most fulfillment possible in your life. You can only find true fulfillment and, like Andrew was talking about, completion in him because he is the only one, and his son were the only ones that were complete. So the center of man, in my definition, is where the soul and the spirit meet and combine. We know that we're three parts, body, soul, spirit. The soul, of course, we know is the mind, the will, and the emotion, personality, uh, in, in its rawest form. But when you combine it with the Spirit, where the Spirit of God lives in your human spirit, then all of a sudden we have an interface like on a computer system where their devices are interfacing with one another so that they can communicate and share that knowledge. That's the heart. That's the Father's heart, and that's your heart. His heart is not different in nature than your heart. It just bigger and more perfect. His heart is incredible, so we want to understand something about his heart because that's that's the place where everything comes together, and we understand personality. There were some there were scriptures that we we need to understand. I, I read you Proverbs four twenty three that says, "Guard the heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Keep your heart." But remember what Jesus said again, speaking of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. It's not out of your mind. How many of you how many of you have ever said something out of your heart that you sure wish you could have taken back? Right. See, that didn't necessarily come if it had just come out of your mind, you probably wouldn't have said it. You'd have said, Oh, I'm not you know, I'm not going there. It, <laughs> all right. So uh, to, to get a, a, a finite description of the Father's heart, which is an infinite thing, is practically obviously impossible. Because the finite simply cannot define the infinite. But we can see we can learn his nature and we can order ourselves after that nature and You'll be helping him when you do because that's his purpose in your life. This is his purpose. I said the highest calling is not just to know him, but to be conformed to his image. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as dear children. Imitators. How many of you, how many sons want to be just like their dad when they grow up? I want to be just like my father when I grow up, and I don't know that I'm grown up yet, except except in this age, because I'm gonna. We're all gonna be babes when we enter the next age, aren't we? A thousand years. So, to get a good definition of the father's heart, the easiest and most accurate explanation of the father's heart is simply look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. John 14, 6 from the New Living. I'm going to begin here and read through the 11th verse. Jesus told, told him, he's told, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. I want you to even notice how many times in these two verses you hear the word Father. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Mark it down. If you've seen Jesus, and I don't mean, I mean, no one here has seen him with his eyes, but we've all seen Jesus in our hearts our mind and our spirit combine to give us an interior picture of him because we can relate to Jesus in a way we cannot relate to the Father. Right. And that is, he's a man. And he, he He chose to become a man, and he'll always be a man. When this age is over, when we go into what's called eternity, he'll still be a man. And when you think about that, I want you to understand how important Man is to the Father because there will always be a man sitting at the Father's right hand forever, forever and ever and ever, amen, always a man there. It's just not going to be God alone. It's going to be a God and His man, the Son of God. All right. Are we doing okay so far? The. Jesus said, the word I speak to you, oh, he, he, uh, sorry, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or less, or least, at least believe because you, have, because of the work you have seen me do. You see me do miracles that only the Father does, and He works through me. I'm not doing the miracles He is. That's what Jesus said. Trash, the Passion translation, the Trashing Translation. The passion twist. Don't don't you believe that the Father is living in me and I'm living in the Father? Even my words are not my own, but come from the Father. For he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Because believe that I live as one with my Father and that my Father lives as one with me at least believe because of the mighty miracles I've done. Our greatest error in trying to understand the Father is we want to understand the Father through our eyes. Instead, we have to begin to look at the Father through the eyes of His Son, Jesus. That changes everything. When you start thinking about God the Father think about it from his perspective, not from our perspective, because our perspective can be very faulty. By the end of this message, uh, you're going to understand that it's silly to get angry with God and blame him for what's going on in your life, when you understand, when you see it from his perspective, instead of just looking at it from your perspective, because we look at it from our perspective, which is pain, confusion, uh, distrust, suspicion—all those things. We have to look at it from His. He has nothing that's imperfect. His His the, His vision is perfect, and that's and and, uh, and we'll talk about that for just a moment. John chapter one verse eighteen. Jesus, well, I'm sorry. John said in John 1, 18, no one has seen God the Father. At any time, I added the Father because that's who John is speaking of. Uh, John six forty six. These words are in red in some Bibles, and it says, "Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God; he has seen the Father." And he's speaking of himself. So, I want. I've, I was going through Scripture. I was studying. Here's an example. Here's a picture of the heart of the father, but looking through the father's eyes. Luke 15, verse 11. Then Jesus said, once there was a father who had two sons. The younger son came to the father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me my share of your estate? Now I'm going to pause here. In Middle Eastern culture, to go and talk, it was considered a great offense To ask your father for your portion of the inheritance, say it it says. I wish you'd already died. But so the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward. This young son packed up all his belongings, traveled to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted everything he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent, nothing left, he grew hungry. How many of you know that when you have nothing, you're hungry? That's the thing about America is, yes, you get hungry and you stop at McDonald's, but we don't understand hunger. You and I don't understand not eating for days. We don't understand malnutrition. All right. Anyway. Uh, With everything spent, he grew hungry because there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish people, swine were unclean animals. And of all the things that this young Jewish man had to go do was feed the unclean. I'm telling you, he hit bottom. Sometimes we're so stubborn, we, ha- we can't be helped until we hit bottom. Don't ever let that happen to you. Have a tender heart. Be correctable. Don't resent correction. The scripture says if God doesn't, a father who doesn't correct his son does not love him. The father loves us and corrects us. I welcome correction. Why do I welcome correction? Even even that word chastisement. Because if something is that out of order, it needs correcting, and I can only come out better by receiving it. If I resent it, well, I'll I'll give you Proverbs 12.1. He who hates correction is stupid. And I'll just leave it there. So we know the scriptures. He he didn't have anything to eat. He was he he, he was thinking, man, I'm I'm if nobody's looking, I'm gonna eat some of the slop that I'm giving to the pigs. You ever been that hungry? I fasted 10 days once and dog food started looking good. <laughs> yeah. So he decided, and I'm, I'm gonna shorten this because it goes all the way through the 32nd verse here. He decided if I go home, my father, all of my father's servants eat good. At least if he'll hire me as one of his servants, I can eat at least. And I don't deserve to be anything more. It'll take mercy and grace for me to even be his servant. And so he went home. That's where the story starts getting good. So the young man, the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar. That This is from the Passion Translation. And the Aramaic explains it well that he was dressed like a beggar. It doesn't say that in our King James or. Our older translations, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. (laughs) <laughs> wait till wait till we hear that. You're home now. Uh, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and place it on his shoulders, and bring me the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger, and bring out the the, the best shoes you can find, and prepare a great feast, and let's celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead, and now he's alive. He was once lost, but now he's found and everyone celebrated with overwhelming joy overflowing joy except we know the older son resented it and he came to his father and he said I've worked for you all my life I've done everything you've asked and I've never had a party how come how come and he said he said to him Sir, this and, and hear what he's saying the father said my son you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. So it's only right to rejoice and celebrate like this because your brother was once dead and gone. Now he's alive and he's back with us again. He was lost, hallelujah, but now he's found. You and I were there at one point. We were lost and, we were found. We, and, and now we're found. We were dead, now we're alive. I think that's a marvelous thing. We we kind of take salvation because we're so accustomed to salvation and and things of the the New Testament, and that that it, it doesn't it loses its it loses its wonder to us. You're not who you were. You're in a process of being changed until who who He called you to be. See if you understand salvation. It's not just skipping hell, guys. It's not, it's so much more than just missing hell. Hell was never designed for man. Hell was designed for fallen angels who rebelled against God. We were born broken. But in the new birth, we are the the purpose of the new birth. Why did Jesus come? Not so that we didn't go to hell. Please understand, Jesus came for this purpose to restore us. To restore us to take us back to the place as God's family before Adam fell. When you think on that, it'll kind of boggle your mind. We, uh, we know that the scripture says we're predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God in Romans eight twenty eight. We He is working on us. He, he's been working on us all the time. But once we're born again, now we're restored and now he can get something done because very often when we're lost and broken, he's watching over us to bring us and some people, sad to say, well, no, I'm, I, I, I'm going to take that back. Not sad to say. Some people don't have to go through some of the hell that some of us went through because they go home early. And, and very often we, the rabbis used to say, Weep at birth and rejoice at death. Think about that. There's some truth in that. McKenna, uh, 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 I mean, what a precious child that Caitlin and Andrew gave me. (laughs) But I, I fear for the world that she's growing up in. I fear for the world that they are in. I'm in the I'm in the late season. And I'm not sad about that. Because I figured out what Paul said when he said to live is uh, to live is for Christ but to die as gain. It's not a bad thing. You see if you look at death from the father's standpoint you're just coming home. You're just coming home. So I I picked up four points out of that script that passage. The father sees us first of all as the prodigals, broken, lost, and gone from Him, we were dead. Although the fellowship has had gone, they had lost their fellowship. The relationship remained unchanged. You're born again, and that relationship, the fellowship, is restored. But before that, the relationship is not broken. You are still His child. Yet you're the child that's off in a foreign land. Spending all your money on drinking prostitutes and gambling and all the, those extremes. You're still his son. And that's proven because he said, there's my son. Right. He didn't say there's that stranger that took all my money and then wasted it like, like his brother said. He said, my son, my son, my son is home. And that's how he felt about you and me coming home. Now, we might not have had a party, and we might not have got a new robe and a ring, except that we got robes of righteousness and something that we didn't have. We were filthy, and now we're clean. All right. So the third is we were we were, we were lost in the world, but we're, and we were dead to the Father. We were dead. They are dead. Please don't envy them in any way. Don't look. That's what Psalm 73 is all about. David is saying, oh, I was looking at all the rich people who have no problems. They just sail through life, everything going well. And I was, it basically says, I was jealous until I considered their end. Right. Come on. They're dead. They're dead. You're not dead. You're alive. And we were all the younger son at one time. Let's make sure we don't become like the older son resentful of those that come in and are blessed coming in you ever I, I, i've experienced it in the past because i've been around here i've been born again for 45 years um uh, been serving him you know for for all that time but uh, there have been times when i'm thinking god father you're blessing this one that just got saved more than he blessed me and sometimes they suddenly explode with revelation, knowledge, and, and they, they're excited and they're bringing people to Jesus right and left. And we were all like that probably when we were first born again. Now we're kind of settled into it. That's not so bad. It's not so bad. All right, moving on. John 17, verse 20. This is where Jesus is speaking again. And he's praying to the Father, uh, and probably for the last time except to say, you know, uh, uh, Father, why have you rejected me? Why have you turned away from me? He said in the 20th verse, and this is, um, well, I forgot to add, I didn't write down what translation. And I ask not only these disciples, but for also for all those who will one day believe me through their message. I pray for them. See, he's talking about you and me. He's, he's talking about his disciples, but he's also talking about you and me. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given me, I've given them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Think about the Father's heart. He is in union. He is one. We have already know that he and the Father are one. We read it in John 14. But he wants us to be in union with him. Your Father wants you to be one with him. One with him. He doesn't want you to just be a stranger. He doesn't want you to, you're you're not a stepson. You're born into his family. And that, how much do you love your children? How much do you love your children? Darnell came in and said, pray for Ray Darius, her son. He was in a motorcycle accident and had to have surgery. Her son was the first thing that she mentioned to me. That's not taking anything away from Big Ray, because Big Ray feels the same. That's Big Ray next to Darnell. Her son. I, I found it amazing. Well, I really didn't, not when you understand parents. and Ted Bundy, anybody remember that name? He was the serial rapist and murderer. He was born again in, in prison. Before, uh, actually, J- James Dobson went and witnessed to him, and he was born again. But no matter all the terrible things he had done, his mother went, there, went to be with him when he died. That was his mother. That was her son. Yeah, he got crossways, but he got straightened out. But do you understand? There's something about our son. God loves you even when you were rebelling even when you were prodigal, even when you are out, uh, uh, out there spending your life on worthless things. I did, you probably did. Let's don't compare notes. Uh, verse 23, you live fully in me now and I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Selah. Most Christians simply would not believe his words. Oh, surely he loved Jesus more than he loved us. That's not what Jesus said. He said he loves every one of his children the same as he loves Jesus, his son. That's the kind of father You want to see the Father's heart? He loved you when you were broken in the world. He still loves you when you're not. He's just glad you've come home. Look, my son has come home. Can you imagine the joy that he felt? He thought his son was dead. He had not heard anything from his son since he had left. We were with the fathers, in the father's heart or mind or someplace before we were inserted into the seed and the, uh, 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 and the egg that became you and I as humans. We existed before that. He didn't just pop up a new spirit. I don't understand anything about that, except that that's what the word says. I, I don't understand where we were, what we were doing I do not believe in reincarnation or karma. Karma basically, really, if you get right down to it, is the, the law of sowing and reaping. <laughs> so, you know, what goes around comes around, that kind of thing. So there's no, it's not all bad, but it's really called the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you're going to reap. Galatians 6 says God is not mocked. It's going to happen. All right. So he desires that we become one with him, but he also desires very much that we become one with each other. He wants, this is his heart. How many of you love to see strife in the family? How many of you? I, I am so grateful. I am so thankful. My sisters and I are so tight, so close. We've always been that way. But I see families that are so broken that they hate each other. They don't speak to each other. I've talked to some of you guys. No, you know, my daughter doesn't speak to me. My son doesn't speak to me. And whether or not it's our fault or their fault or whoever's fault, it's a fact that the family is broken. And our father wants his family to be one the same as you want your family to be one. I want you to know his heart. or, or. Are you with me okay? Is everybody doing all right? Yes. All right. So he desires that we become one with him and with each other. How few really understand this or even obey it and make it a priority. But that was Jesus' prayer, that we might become one and one with him and one with each other. That's what the church ideally looks like. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm supposed to be one with you not your wife or husband you understand i'm supposed to be one with you i don't care what you look like i don't care what color you are i don't care where you came from we are to be one because we are joined together by the son That's good. and we are all brothers and sisters i get a i get a joy and becky can tell you. i love to when i'm standing in line i don't waste it I'll talk to somebody and say, uh, can I ask you a question? Well, sure. Uh, are you a believer? Do you, uh, are you born again? And they say, oh, yeah. I said, well, hallelujah. I introduce myself and get their name. And I said, we might as well get to know each other. We're going to spend forever together. We're, we're in the same family. And then if they say, well, no, then, then we got something else to talk about but but i find i find great joy in that and all everyone that said yes i'm a believer we end up just they end up just grinning and agreeing with me and we just have a reunion right there so that's just an idea you might it's a conversation starter at least and you don't have to waste your time standing in some stupid line i don't like lines but so so i'm going to i'm going to try and use them all right we, we doing okay? All right. Now, we're all familiar with the Father's heart, the, His heart of love, and we think we understand it very well. However, this is where the kind of the shoe, the other shoe drops. This is the part we don't always want to see, but it's truth anyway. And you, and He is the truth, the life, the way. So you might as well know it. There is a not a dark side but a judgment side of his love. And any, any, it is not real love if there is no judgment. There is no love. Love must judge. Love just can't accept everyone's behavior. Love has to say that behavior is wrong. The scripture tells us not to judge those outside. He'll take care of that. All you can do is love them. Are you with me? Thank you. We have to love them. That doesn't mean that you have to like them. You know, I'm seriously convinced that God always loves us, but he doesn't always like us. How many of you always love your children, but you don't always like them? See, I know I can tell I'm making some connections here. So we, we love them outside. The scripture was particularly talking about sexual immorality. However, he said on the inside, in the church, we must judge each other. When you see wrong behavior, it, you don't love them if you don't correct them. The Father says, the, the, the Word of God says the, 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 the Father that won't correct his children, it won't spank his children actually, doesn't love them. Now, I don't know, I know very few parents that believe those scriptures. They believe modern society. Actually, I had my oldest daughter, Nicole, tell me once when she she had her first child. I said, well, did you spank him? I don't strike my child with that kind of holier-than-thou attitude. I said, well, you're not following scripture then. Well, I really didn't care. I don't, I don't, I don't strike my child. Correction is a part of love. It's a part of love. If you see someone, and especially a believer, that's doing things that are detrimental, not only to him, but are, are uh, that destroy his testimony and bring darkness or disgust upon the body as a whole. Because what does it look like on the outside? If we if someone is having a, a, a adulterous affair etc, and we don't do anything about it we just accept them as normal that's like the world does. the world has has rationalized immorality so much that, that it's listen I, 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 I really like Jonathan Kahn. Anybody like the rabbi Jonathan Kahn? I'm reading Paradigm actually it's a book that Nanette loaned me years ago and I forgot about it. But it still has her name in the front, so she'll sure get it back as soon as I get through. Uh, but he's, he's talking about how civilizations degrade from a being a God-fearing civilization into a civilization that the government supports immorality. The gov- and, and it's become a sacred thing. This is scary when I'm reading this. Can you imagine abortion being considered sacred and something that's celebrated by the government? But all you have to do is listen to read in the papers. Abortion is celebrated as a right an an inalienable right. And and according to the scriptures, God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And what is more innocent Than a baby. All right, so moving on. I'm telling you about his heart. There's things that God hates. He doesn't hate his children, but he hates some of the things that they end up doing. See, the the sexual immorality, the Bible says, should never be named among believers, never even be, shouldn't even be a thought. But I'm sorry to say, I've seen too much. The body's far from where it should be but I'm only responsible ultimately for this body. Uh, Sam Carr up in Shreveport, he's my age and he's, he's, he's in the same kind of position I am, but he's the senior pastor and his designate is the lead pastor. That makes more sense to me than just the teaching pastor. But that doesn't mean that I'm running everything. No, I leave that up to him. I can't tell you the day I realized I don't have to make all the decisions anymore. This just feels so good. I don't have to decide are the windows clean or not. I don't have to decide, you know, what needs fix and what doesn't. I don't have to make those thousand decisions pastors have to make every day. All right, but moving on. I'm, I'm sorry. If Becky was up here, she'd punch me and say, get back on, on topic. And I th- I'm, I'm really grateful that she does that. All right, so here we find 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in the 14th, the New Living Translation. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, we've read it very often and think that just has to do with choosing your mate. No, this has to do with your life as well as who you choose for a mate. All right? And what union can there be? How can they be one between God's temple and idols? For we, you and me, we are the temple of the living God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the temple of the living God. we got to say it so we'll understand it. we got to get it on the inside of us. I will live in them and I'll walk in them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 17, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. Don't touch their filthy things. We we have to separate ourselves from this world. We cannot, we have to stop doing world things things if we want to fulfill his heart for us as the church and as, as people of God, we have to leave the things of this world behind. That means that you may have to cut out some movies and, and some television programs or, or any number of things because if you look at it and say, would God consider this a filthy thing? And if he says, if, you say, if, you, if the answer is yes, Yes you want to see that movie, but you don't have to. It's, not to. it's not going to cause you pain if you don't except just soulish pain. All right? Don't touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you And verse 18 says, "And I will be your father. He's talking about he's talking about fellowship here, not relationship. I will be your father. I will be like a father. In fellowship with you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, what does this show us? This reveals the Father's heart in so many ways. Uh, I'm gonna go through a couple of things here. I don't, don't wanna run us out of time or whatever, but here's a principle for you He always acts, the Father always acts for the greatest good of His people. He always acts for the greatest good of his family. Remember, time is not a factor with him. A day is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. He sees the end from the beginning. You can't see it through our eyes. I heard people say, talk about how he is guilty of genocide, because they read some things in the Bible, where, where Samuel, he the Lord told Samuel to tell Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. I mean, wipe this earth clean of them. And they said, how can a loving God do that? And I said, listen, you're looking at it through mankind's eyes. If you look at it through his eyes, who created everything and is ultimately responsible for everything, he's looking at, at society as the world, as his people in the world, the one, his image and likeness people. And he's saying there is a massive tumor in their midst, and it's malignant. He said the Amalekites are malignant, and he removed them, or he, he told Saul to remove them. That's not genocide. That's mercy, because he was working for the greatest good of the body of the people in the world, because how many of you know that malignant things will infect it, the cancer just keeps growing becky and i have a lot of experience with that we were married to people who died of cancer and the cancer didn't get smaller it got it just continued to to destroy those bodies the bodies that we loved are you following me he always acts for the greatest good he 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 wiped out a whole nation or a whole people to protect the rest of the world from that cancer. So we have to see things differently. We have to understand that what is the greatest good for his family is not always the greatest good for you and me. That that didn't... Listen to what uh, Samuel told Saul after he refused to do it. He he saved the king, he saved the animals, he killed all the people. Shows, well, shows a lot. But I don't have time for all that. 1 Samuel 15, 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Who else rejected the word of the Lord and got in big trouble? Adam. Very good. Who said that? Excellent. Adam. 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 All right. He also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, "I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice." Sounds like Adam. That woman you gave to be with me, she's the one that caused me to eat. I feared the people. Right. I obeyed their voice. Your voice, their voice was more important and stronger than yours. Wow. Is what he said. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king. Now, I'm going to pause here and take just a short side trip, but this is planned. This is not a rabbit trail. The scripture tells us that, that we that overcome, and you've heard me teach it before, will Become, will be seen as kings and priests unto our God and will reign and rule with him for a thousand years following this age. How many are familiar with the scriptures? Now, some of you aren't. Sometimes I'll have to come back and teach you that, I guess. But that's okay. But the scripture says that we, we were created. If you go back to Exodus 20, we, we were a, a, a royal priesthood, the, the Jewish were the Jewish people, and we are, we are out of that same tree. We are a part of that Jewish tree. We are to be kings and priests in this world for a thousand years if we qualify, and I, I insist on that, if we qualify. Just because you say Jesus is my Savior doesn't qualify you to rule and reign. You have to be kingdom-minded kingdom people who follow the king and obey him. He has to be Lord of your life. That's where where this ruling and reigning comes from. All right. So Saul was rejected. He lost all of his reward for being king. He was king till he died. He died in battle. He was king till he died. He didn't stop being king immediately. He lost his kingship, his standing with the father. We have a standing with him as believers who walk with the Father, who know his heart, and who conform our hearts to his. We have a place of ruling and reigning in the, in the millennial kingdom. That's what it's called. This is when the kingdom is established on the earth. Jesus is the king on a throne in Jerusalem. This is our future. I, I hate to break it to folks, but we're not going to spend forever in heaven. It's just not scriptural. We're raptured, the best we can tell. We go to heaven, or if you die early, you go to heaven. That's where Marilyn is. That's where Ed is. That's where Soretta is. But we don't stay in heaven. We come back with him to the earth and rule and reign with him for one thousand years, according to Revelation nineteen through twenty-one. He's the King on the throne. We serve him as rulers in this earth. Every ruler that you see in the scriptures had to have people to help him. Joseph, uh, Daniel, and the Hebrew boys—they—they were—they were the—they were the, ruled under the the Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or whatever the, whatever the, all right. So we are, we are commanded to love the Lord with all our strength, that love must work in both directions. True love of the father understands that all he does good or bad in man's eyes is always an act of love. Always. Whether we understand it or not. I've got, I've got to, I've got to make sure you get this because there are a lot of things that happen. First of all, Everything that happens is not God, but I want you to understand, according to Romans eight twenty nine, that He He uses all things, good and bad, for your benefit. So everything that happens, He's not causing by any means. James chapter one says He's the Father of Lights, in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. He said He's only good. He only only has good gifts. But the bad things that happen in our life is not because he's mad at you. It's not because of any of those reasons that, that we have to blame him. He's going to use the bad things that the enemy does to you and through you. One of the, I think it's Salah that has a, a song called The Broken Road that he said he used everything on that broken road and our broken lives to bring us to him. He brings, he uses everything to conform us to his self, to his son. So, so don't get upset, don't get down. When when bad things happen to good people, it's not God that's doing it, but I understand that he always will use it for your benefit. Because he's in this thing for the long run, you're in it for tomorrow. And then the next tomorrow, and then the next tomorrow. And you can't walk more than a day, a, a day at a time. And everybody tells you that. Live one day at a time. Well, that's all you can live. But you understand this. Your future is, is great in him. And if you use this day one at a time to do his will, even when bad things happen, even if you have a financial disaster, even if you have, even if we have flooding twice in two years, in, in 2017, Marilyn was diagnosed with cancer. And my house, in, uh, uh, my, my beautiful house that we finally were able to build in 1999 was flooded, wiped out. Everything we had accumulated for all of our lives together, 40 years, nearly 41, we lost. <laughs> it didn't change anything. Well, yeah, I didn't have stuff. But I'm still who I was. I'm still still the man that God called into me. I I am not lost. Don't live your life in your stuff. It can be gone in one day. I've experienced it. We, We started cleaning up the church after Harvey. We didn't even get finished the other end of the building still waiting for us to finish it. And then about the time we got this room finished and this end of the building finished, we got flooded again. Does that mean God did it? No. If there's anybody that did it, it was an enemy. But God's using it. We're still a strong church because church is not a building. It's people. the People of God. Family of God. I said it's the sweetest church that I can remember. And I've been here for 40 years. It's the sweetest church. Why? Because we are loving each other more and more and more like he intended. We are conforming to the Father's heart every day more and more. And in spite of the losses and the setbacks, in spite of the losses and the setbacks, they don't change who the church is. Change our building, we have some trouble, we have to deal with some stuff, we have to deflood it, and then rebuild it. Does that change anything? Does that change who the church is? Does that change the love of God? Does that change the word of God? Does that change the plan of God? No. One of the things, and I'm so glad Andrew Andrew does things differently, and I'm glad. I'm really glad. But after after Harvey... I had to take my wife to California, try and get her overcoming cancer because all MD Anderson wanted to do is cut it, cut her brain. And she said, no way. Let's try something else. Brain surgery leaves you a vegetable. And they they said it very well could, just like it didn't matter to them. Anyway, Andrew began to reach out to other churches. He's He's a He's still a fairly new pastor, 2016. But listen, he made connections with churches I don't even, I didn't even know existed. He has expanded our network incredibly because of two floods. We now have connection with people and other believers and other like-minded believers that we never had before. Listen, God will use everything for your good. He always works for the greatest good of his people, even though bad things may happen. So don't think if something bad happens, God doesn't love you. No, he's still your father. Have you ever had any of your children have a setback or a, or a calamity? If you've been parents very long, yes, you have. None of them lived live to sail long, you know, like Brother Hagin used to say, on flowery beds of ease. Life is hard. Life is not fair. Ask Deidre. She's had some hard times. Ask anybody that's been around a while. So I want you to understand the heart of the Father. I don't want you to understand from man's viewpoint because you won't understand it that way. I want you to understand it from his viewpoint. He's working for you always. Wow. You have a g- destiny, a purpose. Been, I, I told you that in the beginning. All these things, he's working in your life. If you'll work with him, if you'll allow him to, he always acts for the greatest. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 8. From This is the message from the great suffering Messiah passage in Isaiah 53. Just as miscarried in, he was led off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he had never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. New King James says, "'It pleased the Lord to bruise him. "'He has put him to grief.'" Continuing in the message, verse 10, the plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. You see, he doesn't live to fulfill all of our wants. But Philippians 4.19 says, he will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Aren't you glad you didn't give your children everything they wanted and you're making a mistake if you do? Give them what they need. Give them a little extra, but don't spoil them. Don't make them expect it because they are, they're special. No, let them trust you for their need and trust God for their wants. It's, it's not that hard. So now we begin to understand why we read in Matthew three seventeen, and suddenly, suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A lot of people can't wait to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want more than anything else to hear, this is my son. This is my son. Yes, he, his, his son was a servant. But I don't want to be just a servant. I want to be a son as well. Matthew seventeen five. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Here is Jesus standing on the earth. They heard something that very few people have ever heard. It was very rare occurrence. The Father spoke. When you hear the Word of God all through the Old Testament and, and up into the New Testament, it's the Word of God speaking. The Father, remember Jesus said, I only say what I heard Him say. Here, the Father's voice is heard in the earth. What an incredible blessing to have the Father suddenly announce that on a worldwide PA system. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Don't you want to hear that? Don't you want to hear that? Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Trust him. Trust his heart. Quit trying to figure it out. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on the right track. And in closing, lastly, the conclusion. Oh, it's only fitting because it's in the conclusion of the book. It's from Revelation chapter 21. And it's only got 22 chapters. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his father I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's his heart. His heart is that you overcome so he can be your father, and you can be his son, and not just in a relationship, but in fellowship, fellowship, enjoying each other's company, working together for the same purposes, your job is not your purpose. Scripture actually says, "Work with your hands so that you might have something to give." You you can use that if you want to, Andrew. That didn't come from me. Work with your hands so you might have something to give. I want to ask you today. I don't feel bad. Andrew's preached this long many times. Is there anybody here who doesn't know him as Father? Who doesn't know him as not just Savior to keep you from hell, but as Lord of your life? Is there anybody here? Because you don't have to leave this place like you came. If you don't know him, you can leave with a relationship with him and a fellowship with him that you never had before. If you're here today and you say, I know he's my father, but I have lost that fellowship with him. I want to pray for you. So I'll be here as soon as we dismiss. And if you need that, I want to pray with you because we it can be restored right now. Let me pray for you. If you will, please bow your head in reverence to the Most High. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping me in some small way Reveal your heart to your people, the ones that you love so much, the ones that you desire fellowship with. Sir, I thank you that you have called us sons. You, you, we call you Father. Help us always remember that you are the greatest, that even the Lord Jesus bowed his knee to you. So we, might, we will always do the same. We serve the Lord Jesus. We, 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 You've shown us yourself through him. But help us always keep you at the center of everything. That's the place you are and that's the place we always need to recognize. I thank you for this opportunity to share these things with these your precious people, Lord. I thank you. I ask you that the things that they heard today, they will, will hold on to. It'll not... It will not disappear like so many sermons do. But, Lord, that they will be able to hold on to this, knowing you as Father and you knowing them as sons and daughters. I thank you for it now in the name of our wonderful Savior and King, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you all.
1: Why don't you guys stand on your feet as the band leads us in a song. If I get the prayer partners to come down here. Guys, if you need any prayer, uh, we're here for you. We'd love to just partner in faith with you. And um, if you need healing, we'd love to pray over you, pray over your body, or uh, maybe it's a financial need or a family member, whatever it is. Um, But let's, like uh, Dad encouraged us, let's, Ask God to help seal these things in our heart. And uh, we love you guys so much. And if you need to go, we totally understand.